the game for Philly Press Box Radio, Bill Furman and Jim Chet Chesko. It's Tuesday, March 10th, 2020. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Hey, Chet, the Flyers' win streak has hit nine going into a big home game tonight against the Boston Bruins. The Sixers won just one of those two games. You guaranteed they win on the road after the two L.A. losses. They need Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and Josh Richards back just as soon as possible. The Phillies are starting to make some roster moves. As with just a couple weeks left in spring training, that fifth starter spot is still up for grabs. We'll talk about that. It's championship week in college basketball, except in the Ivy League, Chet. <laughs> we will discuss that as well. And we have random Q2 week five tonight. Yeah, I know that you're happy that we're arriving at the halfway point of random Q2, Bill. You're doing well so far, by the way. Uh, the Sixers are back home finally after a rough 1-3 and three road trip. Yeah, they did get that one win out in Sacramento, but they should have had a second one against the no longer very good Warriors. Phillies baseball, the real deal is fast approaching, and yes, the Flyers just keep on rolling, Bill. They've been amazing. And by the way, we can promise we have taken all the necessary precautions, and we can assure you you're in no danger of getting the coronavirus from listening to Philly Press Box Radio. Yeah, right. We sprayed our microphones <laughs> we and did. our headpieces. We're, we're, we're ready to go. Yes, sir. But hey, speaking of that, what about the Ivy League making the decision not to hold their men's basketball championship and women's basketball championships, uh, but all the other uh, sports are still doing their thing. What do you think of that? Yeah, that's very strange. I mean, they're, I guess, erring on the side of caution, but they may be overdoing it in this case. I'm pretty sure I know how you feel about it. And I feel bad for the players. I mean, particularly teams that, you know, were like second and third in the conference who had a legitimate shot of maybe upsetting, you know, I guess it's Yale among the men, uh, Princeton among the women, to get into the big dance. So you feel bad for them, and especially like seniors. You know, they thought, well, hey, I'm going to have the tournament to, you know, go out in style. They're never going to get to play another game. So you feel bad for those guys and for the diehard fans of those teams, and it's just unfortunate. I know they're just trying to be careful, but I'm not a big fan of the move. Well, me neither. And, and you know, here, here's my position, Chad. If, if they were going to cancel all the sports and shut it all down, okay, we got a crisis, we've got to address it. To handpick and choose through leagues to make decisions like this, to me, is it's just a knee-jerk reaction, and it does not make me happy at all. Yeah, it's just like I said, it's unfortunate. And, uh, boy, we're going to hear a lot more things over the next few weeks as far as stuff being canceled, things being moved, uh, you know, games played with no fans like they're doing over in some of the European soccer leagues and whatnot. So it's a continuing to develop situation, and uh, we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, I heard just heard something on the news, and I didn't catch the whole story, but they were talking about that you weren't going to be allowed to have crowds over 5,000. For anything. What yeah. the world does that mean? How do you know that the 5,000 are good? You know, <laughs> I know. what I mean? Yeah. What, what, I don't, what a ridiculous statement. They're not making all the right moves here. And, yeah, they're advising people to you know stay away from when there's going to be a crowd of more than 5,000. But how do you know? And so if you have tickets for a Flyers game but you're a young and healthy 30-year-old, you're not supposed to go because you know, they're going to have 15,000, 18,000. So it's, it's a strange situation, Bill. It's a weird time that we're living in right now. 
Yeah, it is. And, and you know, I, I heard uh, a LeBron James comment, whether true or plays out true or not. LeBron says, no fans, no me. Uh, I'm not playing in an empty arena. So that's that's an interesting situation as well. Yeah, it is. So let's bring our guest on and see where we go with him. Well, we've got two great guests tonight in WIP Radio's James Seltzer and the Athletic Flyers beat reporter Charlie O'Connor, who's going to help us cover all this stuff. So let's get it rolling and welcome James Seltzer back to Philly Press Box Radio. James, welcome. Fellas, what a pleasure to be back. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. It's oh, really an honor about. every time I get to talk to you. We have so much to talk about, James. Uh, a lot of Flyers talk later in the show with the Athletics' Charlie O'Connor, but I do want to get your take on those guys real quick. I think you saw I mentioned a tweet of yours in a piece of mine two weeks ago, you tweeting something like, the Flyers are the best team in Philly right now, and it's not even close. I, you know, how did it come to this? Can the Flyers team actually get to the Cup Finals and maybe you know have another parade for us? Yeah, it's a... Um... It's unbelievable. How did it get to this is really a, a fun way to put it. And and first of all, shout out to Charlie. He's fantastic. I'm I'm excited I get to share a podcast <laughs> with Charlie. He's gonna have some great stuff coming up. Um but yeah, it's really crazy because coming into the year, it's funny because we think about the last three seasons of the other teams, like the Eagles, Super Bowl aspirations coming into the year, obviously didn't live up to it. The Sixers, best team in the East, gonna waltz to the finals. Championship aspirations, clearly not living up to it. The Phillies, Harper comes in. Everyone thinks, you know, 90-plus wins, maybe a World Series-type team. Didn't live up to it. The Flyers, the only team that we didn't have any sort of (laughs) expectations like that for, and they're by far the best of this group. And it's really, it is crazy. They're playing like a team. I think, Elaine Vigneault, you can't really underrate what a difference he's made from a culture perspective, from a professionalism perspective. And there's just something special going on with this group of guys. Um, you know, it, it just seems like they play so well together. They, um, I was really impressed. You know, they, they won the Capitals game, which obviously going into Washington and winning was a big win. And then to follow it up the night after against Carolina was a big win. But I was really impressed with that Buffalo win because that was the type of win that, you know, you feel like the team's going to go in there and just have a letdown there in a spot where – you know, yes, and, and and especially where they didn't even play that well. And shout out to Carter Hart. He was extraordinary that night. I mean, they were outshot like, you know, two two to three, essentially. Three, you know, essentially, what was it, 37 to 21 or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I that was a really impressive win to me. And these guys just keep coming out night after night and fighting. Um, I think the Stanley Cup aspirations are real now. Hockey is a, a strange sport in that, you know, you can get hot, you can have a goalie stand in his head, all that type of stuff. So the best team doesn't always win. But I feel really good about how this team is playing heading into the playoffs. And I think mean, they, it's, I, I feel ridiculous saying it because of, of what the expectations were, but they could absolutely win the Stanley Cup this year. It's, it's, it's really been a, a fun ride, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Well, James, and on the flip side, uh, Chet is a lot more arrow up than I am on the Sixers. I'm arrow down. Uh, this, this team, to me, is, has just been a bunch of underachievers, and uh, I could, couldn't could be as disappointed in them as I am excited about the Flyers. Yeah, I'm with you. Sorry, Chet. Um, <laughs> it's just, they're a bummer, man. They're, and look, um, you know, maybe MB should be coming back soon. Maybe. 
Simmons comes back for the playoffs and and they can compete in the playoffs, but it's just felt like one of those years, like almost a snake bit type of year where everything that can go wrong has gone wrong. And I just think it's so unlikely to think that come the playoffs, you know, after being out for as long as these guys have and the way that all season long, they really have not been on the same page. Obviously the fit issues, Horford has not come close to living up to what we expect from Tobias Harris, maybe the most overplayed player in Philadelphia sports history. I mean, they're just, they're not a good basketball team. And I, you know, I just don't know. I feel like it's silly to say, oh, but they're so talented when the playoffs come around, they'll figure it out. Like, why? Why will they figure it out? Honestly, I would be more surprised if they, I think, let me put it this way. I, I think it's way, way, way more likely they lose in the first round than they make any sort of run. That's where I'm at with the Sixers. Yeah, I agree. So many disappointments. As you said, Al Horford's been a disappointment. Uh, just the spacing on the court. Um, the good news is they will have Embiid back, it sounds like, later this week. They are definitely going to have Josh Richardson back. We still don't know how long Simmons is going to be out. But, yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't think they're going to make a playoff run. And I think this way, James, if the Sixers don't make a run in the postseason, that Brett Brown won't be back. And if that's the case, how much of a push will there be among fans for Jay Wright to get hired as coach? Oh, Wow, that, I mean, that's certainly the, you know, quote-unquote sexiest name out there. Um, I, I agree with you. I think that, honestly, not just around, I think they need to get to the Eastern Conference Finals for Brett to have any chance to save his job. And yeah. even then, look, I've been, a, I've been a Brett Brown defender. I think he's a great guy. I thought he did a really nice job of kind of shepherding this franchise through a really tough time. Um, but it's time. It's over. I mean, it just is what it is. They need a new voice there. I mean, there is such a lack of discipline on this team. And we've seen, I mean, going back to the Flyers, seeing what A.V. has come in and done, the, the difference that guy has made, seeing what I think Joe Girardi is going to do for this Phillies team, that type of difference of having someone who comes in and demands professionalism, someone who comes in and brings a culture of of not just winning, but a culture of 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 acting like you've been there before, of acting like a professional. I think it's so important. And this is just a bunch of guys who've had no discipline for years now. And it's like the inmates running the asylum. So, yeah, I'm uh, as much as I love Brett Brown, I think he's a great guy. I, I think it is an absolute must that he goes at when they inevitably don't show up in the playoffs. <laughs> um, the Jay Wright thing's interesting. I don't know. If he'll leave Villanova, I mean, if I were Jay Wright, I wouldn't leave Villanova. I mean, what a cushy gig that is. You basically got a lifetime contract to, you know, get the better, you know, at least some of the better players each year to come to your school and to compete every year. And you're like a god on that campus. So um, I don't know. Sometimes those guys want to, like, have something they want to prove or whatever. Maybe Jay has that. And I, I do think that if Jay Wright were to take an NBA job, the Sixers, by far the most likely one he would take. You know, he doesn't have to uproot his family. He doesn't have right. to move. He knows the culture. He knows the climate, all that type of stuff. I just think, I think it's unlikely. Maybe they can bowl him over with a massive offer. And, and I would love it. Like, don't get me wrong. Of all the names I've heard as options for them, Jay Wright would far and away be my top choice. I'm all in on Jay Wright. I think he's an outstanding coach. I just wouldn't bet on him actually leaving Villanova. Gotcha. Yeah, I'd have to put that in the never. I see that as a never, but we'll see. But speaking of good coaches, new new managers, Joe Girardi, you mentioned him. Uh, seems like a lot of upbeat going on down there in Clearwater. Uh, they still don't have five starting pitchers, so we got that to worry about. Might not have four. 
how do you see this thing playing out? Yeah, well, they might not have three is the problem, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, look, I, uh, I think they're going to be better this year because of Girardi. Um, I don't think a manager makes up, you know, 10 wins or something like that. But I, I do think that, like I said before, I think there's going to be a level of professionalism, a level of accountability that hasn't been there in that clubhouse the last few years. And I do think that, and, and I don't even know if it's Gabe's fault. And I was, you know, certainly towards the end, not a big Gabe fan. I was, I was a Gabe fan early on and I, I really soured on him and I was ready for it to end. I thought he deserved to be fired, but I don't even know how much of it was Gabe's fault. He was just not someone who comes in with any sort of clout, any sort of, um, you know, like how is Gabe Tapler going to hold Bryce Harper to a level of accountability? Jake Tiramito, all these guys, like he didn't have any sort of clout with those guys. Joe Girardi comes in with pedigree, with a resume. Like that dude's won a World Series as a manager. He played in the league forever, all that stuff. So um, I think that, that Girardi, I, I used the phrase before, I think it's a good phrase for it. I think he demands professionalism. I think he demands a level of accountability. And I just don't think you're going to see the stupid mistakes this year. I don't think you're going to see you know, dumb base running moves or fielding mistakes in the same way or, or just a team that's not ready to show up on a night-to-night basis. So I think that alone is going to be worth a few wins. I also think that the staff that Girardi's put together, and uh, you know Brian Price especially and Joe Dillon too, but um, I think it's going to make a big difference. I think you know when you look at all the stuff that's come out of spring training, I think the most scathing uh, kind of shocking quotes have been guys like Aaron Nola talking about Chris Young and basically throwing that dude under the bus and flat out saying like more or less he is a horrible pitching coach and had no idea how to convey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable, right? I mean, some It was great. Been like, it was great. Scathing is the word, right? It, it has been shocking how blunt they have been about what they thought about Chris Young. And Brian Price is a dude <laughs> who has a long history of success in that role. He's actually been a manager before, too. But just as a pitching coach, he's someone who has a long history of success in that role. Those guys can go to and. We know he can convey these messages to these guys, what they need to do, how they need to go about their business. I think that's going to make a big difference. So I, I, do, I do think it really helps. But, look, to your point, uh, I think that, you know, the pitching staff is an issue. I hate that they didn't go over the luxury tax. I hate this idea of, oh, we're going to go over the luxury tax at the, the trade deadline. I'm like, why? Why wait 90 games? Why give away 90 games? You know, I, I just I don't understand the organizational philosophy. They lack depth from an organizational perspective, but I do think that, look, I think the the McCutcheon thing worries me a little bit. Um, I was hoping he'd be ready to start the year, but I think that they're going to have enough from a offensive perspective and from, you know, a, a Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola perspective to fight for a wild card spot, whether it's the second or, or the first wild card. I think that it doesn't help that they're in the best division in baseball. I think the Braves are clearly the class of the division. I could see the Nationals taking a step back. You know, you win the World Series, you go deep into October, November. Like, um, for a young group of guys, a young team, I do think that you could see a, you know, we always talk about a Super Bowl hangover, almost a World Series hangover there a little bit. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if they take a step back. I don't think the Mets are as good as everyone makes them out to be. They're fine. They're a good baseball team, I think. I think all these teams are kind of – I think the Braves are the class of the division and the other three teams are going to be somewhere in the mid-80s as far as it goes when it goes to wins with a few wins going this way or that way. So I can absolutely see the Phillies being either the best of that bunch or the second best of that bunch and making the playoffs. I don't think World Series hopes are 
super realistic. You know, you can never know if you get there what can happen. But um, so I would, I think, like I'm not on the super optimistic t- side, but I'm, I'm on the. I think they can make the playoffs if certain things go right, and I, I don't think it's as pessimistic as some people make it out to be. But um, it, it's just frustrating the way they've gone about it. I think they had an opportunity with the group of guys they have here if they just made a couple extra moves, if they'd just been willing to go over the luxury tax, spend a little extra money. We could be coming into the season saying, oh, man, like they actually could compete for the World Series. I know that the Dodgers are almost a super team, but outside of that, like there's no other team in the National League that really scares you. Um, so it's, it's one of those kind of like cautious optimism things where I feel pretty good about where they're at. I'm just a little frustrated that they didn't do the tiny bit more that could have made a big difference. I'm right with you. Yeah, I think the 84-and-a-half, the 85-and-a-half over-under is perfect for them and i'm gonna lean to go over but we'll see we'll make our predictions later on in march yeah i i'm i I, like right now and again i'll make a final prediction once we get a little closer but i'm right in that 86 87 range so i really think that number is dead on and a a a few bounces of the ball this way or that way can make them go under and one other thing on the phillies uh james the phil's recently announced plans to retire the number 34 worn by roy halliday forgive me but i'm not a huge fan of that decision given his short time as a dominant pitcher while with the phil's what's the uh james seltzer take on that one yeah you don't have to forgive uh, i don't forgive you because i'm actually more or less on your side i mean look i don't i'm fine with it Ray Hall is a Hall of Fame pitcher. He had real Hall of Fame moments here. Um, you know, that obviously playoff no-hitter is a, a special thing. He's got one of, what, like 26 perfect games ever thrown here. I mean, he had some, some real moments here. But, I mean, ultimately when it's all said and done, Ray Hall is a blue jet. <laughs> Let's be real about it. I love what he did here. I loved having him here. But he's a blue jet. Like, he's a blue jet. When it's all said and done, his world series plaque. Yeah. I know it has the, the no team designation on it, but he was a blue jet. And his, he made his hang as a Blue Jay. I think of, when we think of Roy Holiday in 20 years from now, outside of Philadelphia, obviously we're going to think of him as a Philly, but most baseball fans will think of Roy Holiday as a Blue Jay. So um, I don't hate it. Here's the thing. Um, I've always been a big proponent of, of getting the number retired as a sacred thing. I mean, when you look at the numbers that are retired now, they're all Hall of Famers. You know, they're all Hall of Famers. There's no wiggle room with that. But if you're going to retire Roy Holiday's number, then you have to retire the the Utley Holiday, uh, the Utley uh, Howard Rollins Hamill yeah. group. Like you have to. I'm Those guys you. meant so much more to this team. They just did. They won us a World Series. Like. They're the core of that, and those guys aren't Hall of Famers. I mean, Utley maybe gets in someday. Rollins maybe gets in someday. But none of those guys are, are no doubt about it Hall of Famers like Holiday is. But they were much more important parts of this Philly team. So I'm torn on it. I, I'm not going to say I hate the decision, but I certainly am not someone who was like, that was a no-brainer. And, and I do think that since they did it, I don't think they have a choice. They have to retire those other numbers. Gotcha. All right. Hey, James, let's talk Eagles a little bit. A little bit uh, quiet over there at the NovaCare Center in the offseason, but I think the decision to not have an offensive coordinator is certainly interesting. Uh, we now look like we're going to let Jason Peters test the free agent market. I'm perfectly good with that. Um, what's your take on the offseason so far? Yeah, it's hard to have too much of a take, obviously, as we're still a few days out from free agency. I think once Monday and the League of Tampering starts, We'll kind of have a better feel for what they're doing. And it's also really hard to take Howie at his word, right? I mean, 
it's one of those things where it's really hard to believe anything Howie Roseman says at this point. And good for him. That's what he should do. You know, he shouldn't be telling people what he's doing. Um, so I, um, I'm fine with the Jason Peters move. I would have brought Jason Peters back just based on the situation there with Andre Dillard. It feels like they don't trust Andre Dillard. That concerns me. You know, all the things we've heard, the fact that he was floated in trade rumors, all that type of stuff. I'm nervous about Andre Dillard. I would have been fine with bringing Peters back. I think he matters in that locker room. I think um, he played pretty well last year, but I'm also not, you know, standing on a table saying it's a disaster not to bring him back. Um, I think they have a lot of holes though, and I don't love the, I don't hate the Byron Jones thing, but I also don't love it. It feels like it's a situation where, you know, if they're going to go spend 17, 18 million a year on, on a quarterback who is just the best of a bad group of cornerbacks, free agent group of cornerbacks, that worries me a little bit. Um, I, I think it's really hard to judge it right now. I think the, the big takeaway from what, how he said, and, and again, it's hard to take him at face value is that. I don't think they're all in for this year. You know, I don't think they're ever all out, but I think that they are not going to be quite as aggressive to win this year as they've been the past years. And I think they're really going to try and build for the next few years. And and I'm okay with that. I understand that philosophy. I I think that, you know, look, you have Carson Wentz. I think you have a chance any year. Uh, I believe in Wentz that much. So um, I I really want to see them. Ultimately, if they come out of this offseason with some real weapons for Carson for the future, you know, I I need this draft, a a quote-unquote historic wide receiver draft. I need some guys out of this draft who Carson can grow with. He does not have a single guy who they have put with him every year and say, all right, this is your dude. You guys are going to grow together. He's going to be your receiver for the next five years. Like, you know, know each other's ins and outs, grow together, be a star together. Like, I want that guy. I want those guys. So if they come out of this offseason with, with that type of potential future at that position, I'll feel good about it. But I think it's a really interesting offseason, a kind of a tenuous spot they're in. And I think it's a massive offseason for Allie Roseman. Uh, I mean, you look back at the draft, look, Dillard, hopefully it's not a disaster, right? I mean, the Dillard thing is a, a worry. Um, or take a white side. Not looking like a great pick. I mean, he's not had some, some great drafts last year, and they have a lot of picks. they got a lot of maneuverability. I think Howie really has to come through. It's a big offseason. Well, hey, James, uh, speaking of the Eagles, you guys at WIP have a great annual event coming up Monday in Horsham. I was there last year, and I hope to be there again this coming Monday. Tell everybody about it. What do you got going on? Yeah, it's the Birds Town Hall. It's a really neat thing that we do where it's the uh, the legal tampering period. It starts that day, so... All the news really breaks that day. You know, no one waits till for agency actually opens two days later for anything to, to happen. It all happens that day, and we have every single show on the station there, and we have a bunch of um, – it's like everyone sits in with everybody. So, you know, the midday show guys will sit in with Angelo, and Angelo will come on with the afternoon show, and the afternoon show guys, and then Ray Dittinger will be there, Glenn Mack now. Like, all the, all the people are on the station, all the personalities that make up WIP are kind of – all sitting in together, doing hours of the show together. And then um, it's at McGurk's um, uh, in the Willow Grove area right around there. So um, there are a lot of, uh, you know, people can come out and hang out. They have former players are on, all that stuff. It's a, it is a really, really neat event. So uh, I would love to see you guys if you can make it out. And anyone who can come out, you know, come out, say hi. It really is a lot of fun. 
Yeah, and I love having a morning beer before going to work. So uh, I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> Tell me about it. Nothing better. <laughs> James, one final thing. I always try to end on a lighter note. And I'm going to play a little soundbite for you. And Bill will probably have no idea who this is, but I know you will. So here you go. Let's just go back to the bar, right? The bar's where we belong. The bar's where we fit in. We can hide from the world <laughs> in the bar. <laughs> That, of course, is Charlie Day from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Charlie Day, of I know you've talked about How often have you been told that you sound like Charlie Day, James? It is the single biggest, most common thing that I get told. <laughs> hey, ever hear you sound like Charlie Day? Yep, about 500,000 times. Um, <laughs> well, you do. I, I, I enjoy it. I, you know, there's a Philly connection to it. I love Charlie Day, so I, I certainly am uh, I'm happy to hear it. But you're so much better looking than him, right? Ah, that's what I'm talking about right there. Good looking out, Thank you. <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, James, we have run out of time, and uh, we could do this all night. But it uh, looks like we're out of time. So thank you for coming by. We certainly appreciate it. Let's do it again. Fellas, it is, uh, it is my honor, my pleasure. Seriously, anytime you want me, I'm, uh, I'm available to you guys. Thanks, James. I'll see you Monday. See you Monday. All right, guys. We're looking forward to it. Bye, Bye. guys. Oh, Bill, it's time, isn't it? It's time. It's almost St. Patrick's Day, Tuesday the 17th. That is the date, and, of course, the place I will be, the place everyone should be, as Chris Gaskill would attest, is the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne. And check out this agenda. We are opening at 10 a.m. We'll have all of your favorite Irish fare, our famous corned beef and cabbage, hand platters, shepherd's pie, Guinness stew, plus your favorite Irish beers, including Guinness and Harp and Smittics. We'll have live music all day long. During the day, we have Clancy's Pistols. At night, we have our awesome DJ, uh, DJ Endu, who keeps our party going. And if you come around 4 or 5 o'clock, we'll have Irish dancers in our banquet room for some dinner seating. So any time of day you come, it's pretty festive and all weekend long. The 13th, 14th, and 15th, we'll have some Irish dancers and all of our great food. Always a lot going on at the Irish Rover in Langhorne. Check out the event schedule, menu, and more on the website, irishroverstationhouse.com. And they call her the Irish Rover. Hey! Hey! Good stuff, Chet. You'll be there, I'm sure. Yeah, I got a busy couple of days. I'm going to stop and see James and the gang Monday morning. I'll work Monday and Tuesday. And, of course, I'll pop into the Irish Rover Tuesday night. Hey, there you go. Hey, uh, Chet, it's time for week five of Random Q2. Um, but I will give you the Flyers are halfway through the first period. It is nothing, nothing. And uh, connect me with the best opportunity to store, score. He got stoned by Tukarash. Ah, nothing, nothing. Okay. I'll Tell be... the listeners how this works, Chet, and uh, let's do week five of Random Q2. Yeah, Bill, week five of year four of Random Q2, as was the case in the past years. Random Q2 is this fun little 10-week series we do in the wintertime. And over two minutes or so each week, I hit Bill with two questions, one about a sports topic, usually something very timely. The second one, one of ten random questions. That's where we get the random Q2 name. Uh, Questions that I've already written down weeks ago about whatever. And Bill will pick a number and we'll go from there. So there you have it. And here we go. This week's first question, Bill. The Phillies the other day announced that this year's Wall of Fame inductee will be Manny Trio. He played four seasons with the Phils, 79 to 82. Is he Wall of Fame worthy? Well, I guess I'm going to say no. Um, I don't know who they would put in because I think it's kind of already thin, thinned out a bit uh, until you can start putting the 08 bunch in. Yeah. Um, you know, so 
I guess they put Abreu in last year, right? And he was he was deserving. Schilling's in. You know, Scott Rowland might be one, but he's got a bad history here. Yes, yeah, I would have uh, taken Rowland. You know, I, I, I say it's a reach for Manny Trio. Great player for us for those few years. Same kind of deal as you talk about with Halliday. You're giving him this special honor on a very short career. Yeah, I would have gone with Scott Rowland, and then next year start with the big names from the you know 08 World Series team. That's just my take. But anyway, let's well, move and, on. And, and one quick other thing yeah. on that. I, I think they're going to be in a real situation when they go with the 08 team. Are you going to put all three of them guys in there together? Oh, no, you're going to space um, it out. Space them out, put one in a year. Exactly. They're going to milk yeah. that thing, man. You're going to sell out crowd once a year, guaranteed, sure. Well, that's uh, that's going to be interesting to see in yeah. my eyes because I'm not sure which order you put them in. Yeah, well, we'll see. For your second question, Bill, you know the deal. You pick a number, any number one through ten, excluding one, five, seven, and eight because you already used those. Uh, let's go with number two. Number two. It says... You mentioned previously, Bill, that your first concert was the legendary Cat Stevens. Now, here's the question. What concert have you seen that is most outside your lane? Most outside my lane? Yeah. I don't go too far outside my lane. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Chet. You're going to find this really interesting. Uh-oh. But I, I, I actually liked, uh, liked different types of music back in the day. Still do. Okay. I went and saw at the Valley Forge Music Fair. Do you remember that place? I do. I've never been there, but I do know of it. Well, it's it's gone yeah, now. You I know. know, but it was in the round. You yes. know, it was in the round. The stage moved around. And I saw Lou Rawls. Ooh. Remember Lou Rawls? Yeah. And Natalie Cole. Wow. At the Valley Forge Music Fair in somewhere around nineteen seventy nine. Oh, there you go. And that's what I'm talking now, about. Outside, outside my box. You never thought that, would you? No. See, I thought you were like a classic rock guy, like I am primarily. The one for me, I was dating a woman, 18 or 19, 1989 or 90, and we saw, because she liked both of these acts, Kenny G and Michael Bolton. I, I don't know. I could have done that. <laughs> that's out, that's the things that you do for love, Bill. You know, hey. <laughs> oh, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Chet, you know, the buzz around town, the Red Hot Flyers with their nine wins in a row, they got a chance to take over first place if they can win this game tonight uh, since the Caps got beat in overtime or in shootout last night, still got that one point. Uh, this team is playing great hockey. Yeah, that they are. Uh, they are hot. They're getting lots of attention on sports talk radio these days, which isn't always the case. So it's pretty exciting. I like what's happened with the orange and black. Yeah, me too. And, you know, I'm trying to keep one eye on this game tonight a little bit. And uh, it, it appears from my one eye that they're they're really outplaying the Bruins. They just haven't scored. They've had opportunities and uh, Rask has been up to it. But uh, the Flyers look like they're playing pretty well. And that Kata Hot is in net again, right? Yes, he is. And he <laughs> had to make one uh, one real big save that I got to see. Well, hey, you had a chance to sit down this afternoon with the Athletics uh the Athletics. How about the Atlantics? Flyers beat no, the Riders, Charlie O'Connor. You got it right. The Athletics. I got it right the first time. 
beat reporter Charlie O'Connor to talk about this team. Tell us about uh, how that went. Well, I mentioned last week that in addition to having James Seltzer on tonight, we were going to have a second guest, likely someone talking Sixers basketball. But I said after that to myself, you know what? what what's going hap- What's been happening lately with the Flyers? I got to go with the Flyers. So I scrapped the basketball idea, reached out to Charlie O'Connor because the Flyers are the talk of the town. And, of course, with the Flyers playing as we speak here on this Tuesday evening, Charlie uh, is there at the game, so we had to tape our chat just a few hours ago. And here's how it went. The last time we talked to this guy, Dave Haxtall was still the Flyers coach, and Carter Hart hadn't yet made his NHL debut. My, how things have changed in the 15 months since then. He's the lead Flyers writer for The Athletic, Charlie O'Connor. Welcome back, Charlie. Hey, it's good to be back. It's good to be back with a a better hockey team this time. Yeah, that's for sure. Hey, before we talk hockey, I want to ask this. Uh, You cover the team every day. I know the NHL and other leagues just made the announcement about no media being allowed in the locker rooms over the near future due to the coronavirus have you talked to the players? Are they at all concerned? Are they taking the situation seriously? I think they're taking it seriously, you know, as seriously as they can. Everyone's just kind of, I wouldn't say in a holding pattern, but this is new for everybody. You know, no one really knows, I think, you know, what the implications are for the future. You know, right now, as you said, all that's happened is the media isn't allowed in the locker room, but we still get access um, you know, behind a podium. We still get to talk to the players. So you know, if this is the only change that's made while this is going on. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal for anyone, but considering the other possibilities that have been thrown out there, you know, the possibility of having games with no fans, and that that's when this would dramatically change the nature of the competition and the nature of the games themselves. And I think everyone involved in the situation is just kind of, you know, wait and see approach. You know, they're they're just not quite sure how this is going to play out. I don't think anybody really is, but it's hard to know how to react when you don't know how things are going to end up. Absolutely. So, yeah, what a difference uh, since the last time we talked regarding the Flyers on the ice. This team is obviously a whole lot better than they were in December 2018. I mean, the team used eight goalies last year, for crying out loud. So let's start there. Carter Hart, just 21, certainly seems to be the real deal. Never seems to get rattled, always very composed. How is he so mature at such a young age? I think it's just kind of his natural personality, to be honest. You know, he's he was like this pretty much from the time that they drafted him. And some some people just kind of are, are born with that sort of mentality where nothing really seems to phase them and they've got a good head on their shoulders. And I think Carter Hart's just one of those kids where, you know, he's twenty one years old, but you talk to him and he seems, you know, ten years older than that in terms of his perspective on things and not just not just his perspective on hockey, but it seems to be his perspective just on, on life as a whole. Uh, he's laid back, but he's focused, and uh, you're seeing the benefits. As you said, he's he's really solved the goaltending problem in Philadelphia, at least for now. And you know, most exciting, I think, for Flyers fans is that since he's returned from his injury, had a, an abdominal strain that knocked him out for about a month, uh, starting in I think mid-January and through uh, around the midpoint of February. Since he's come back, he's been better than ever. You know, he's got a save percentage over 930 in his games uh, since coming back from the injury. So any worry that he might take him some time to uh, to kind of refine his footing, you know, not only has that not happened, he's actually playing the best hockey of the season. And you know, some of that is, I think, in part due to the fact the Flyers are playing better defense in front of him. But a lot of that is just because he's playing better as a goalie. And you know, as anyone who follows hockey can tell you, you want to go far in the playoffs, you need your goalie to be playing well. And obviously we're still a month away from the playoffs. He could go through a slump, but in the here and now, Hart's playing his best. And that's a big reason why the Flyers are on this surge. 
Another big reason, of course, the coach, Elaine Vigneault, has done this in his previous stops. He somehow makes teams better in his very first season with them. What is it about him that he's able to do that? It's a lot of things. I think he's a, a very good teacher of, uh, of systems, of tactics. I think the players have really bought in there. You know, there were some uh, not insignificant changes made to what the Flyers were doing on the ice in comparison to last year. I think they really fit the the nature of the players and the team, the types of styles they want to play, and it's just gotten helped to get the most out of them. But it's a lot of things even beyond that. You know, you're talking about a team that, you know, to a man has talked about how Vino's focus on accountability has been huge. You know, the fact that, you know, the older players on the team, the established veterans get held to the same standards as the young guys. So when the young guys see, you know, a Jake Voracek in the third game of the year, barely see the ice in the third period, you know, they, they notice that because it's not like the, the guys that are getting paid tons of money are getting held to different standards than they are. Everyone is being held to the standard of, you know, you have to be putting in the, the effort. You have to be practicing hard. You have to be, you know, finishing your checks. You can't be taking shifts off. And I think that's really carried through the entire lineup because now everyone is, is seemingly giving it their all. And everyone is avoiding those those bad shifts, those bad games. I I, I have a suspicion that's a, a big part as to uh, you know why Vino has has succeeded in his first year of his tenure because he sets standards and he kind of demands the players follow them, and players seem to be following them. Well, you mentioned those older veterans, and I got to fess up. I really thought last year that Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek were kind of winding down, but boy, they both seem rejuvenated. They've been big contributors in this recent nine-game win streak. I know you wrote about uh, Claude's resurgence the other day. What what's uh, gotten these two guys going again? Well, I, I would say they're kind of two separate situations. You know, with with Giroux, I, I think Giroux was was fine last year. You know, maybe he wasn't as good as he was the year before when he had 100 points, but he was still a point per game player. He was still an impact guy, and I don't think that in any way, shape, or form last year was was his fault. Um, what I think what's turned his season around this year because the first three three and a half months of the year he wasn't scoring his usual rates, but I think what turned it around is he's just he's just being used in in situations he's being put in situations where he's most likely to succeed offensively and he's back on a line with uh with Sean Couturier who he's thrived with over the last two years he's back on the wing where he said he's more comfortable with at this stage of his career you know through a lot of the early portion of the season he was playing center not because it's where he's best suited but it's because Nolan Patrick was out and the Flyers needed a third center. Well, now they're using him on the wing. His offense has gotten better. They've restructured the power play to better suit his talents. So I think a lot of it is just that he's being placed in better positions to succeed. Now, as for Jake, Jake's a, an interesting one because, you know, he's, it, it's not that he was playing poorly the last couple of years. And I think in 2017, 2018, he had a great year. But I definitely think that this year, and again, this goes back to what I was talking about, about accountability and standards. You know, he's definitely placed more of an emphasis upon two-way play. Not, not to say that he was, you know, a lazy player. I certainly don't think that. But I think at times he could, you know, he was so focused on, on scoring because that was his role. His role was to be a scorer. That at times, I think, you know, maybe he was, he was blasting the defensive zone a little early, trying to get that, that odd man rush. And I think what's happened with Vino is Vino's really pushed him to rededicate himself to, to two way play. And what you've seen, I think, in my mind, is that because Jake Voracek is, you know, maybe not blasting the zone as much as he used to, because there's more of an emphasis upon two way play, he's actually getting more offensive opportunities as a result because his team has to puck more when he's on the ice. 
And it's also, you know, as I talked about with Giroux, being on a line with Couturier, Voracek's on a line with Couturier now as well. And I think that's helped him out a lot because Sean Couturier, there's a very good chance he's going to win the, the Selkie Trophy for, for best two-way forward in hockey. He's an amazing two-way center. And I think that's helped both Giroux and Voracek have the puck more and have more opportunities to score. So there's a lot going on here, but I do agree that, you know, especially over the last couple of months, both players have been absolutely on fire. Some Flyers fans balked at the big money the team gave to newcomer Kevin Hayes last summer. I'm pretty sure they're okay with Hazy now, as well as one of the other newcomers, Matt Niskanen. They've been great additions. Yeah, yeah. I think both of those moves were, you know, there was there were people who who argued not unfairly, I would say, that the cost of getting those guys might have been a little high. You know, Kevin Hayes, as you mentioned, they had to give a massive contract to. Matt Niskanen, they had to give up Radko Gudis, who was a good defenseman for them last year, and they had to retain some of Matt Niskanen's, uh, some of uh, Gudis' salary in order to get Niskanen. So I think that the, the criticism in the offseason was, was fair. Uh, what, what maybe got, I guess, underrated a bit as the signings and as the trades happened was you know, just how big of a needs those two guys filled. You know, the Flyers, really, ever since Giroux moved over to wing, they've been in desperate need of center depth. Um, you know, obviously, Couturier has developed into, into a really, really good center, but beyond him, they really didn't have that much. They were kind of banking on Nolan Patrick, and Nolan Patrick hadn't shown he was ready to be a second-line center yet. So you know, even if we, we assume we're in a world where Nolan Patrick isn't battling the migraine disorder that he's battling, you know, he, they were still going to need a second-line center. And the fact of the matter was is that Kevin Hayes was the guy on the market, probably the only legitimate second-line center out there, aside from Matthew Shane, who always was going to sign with Nashville. That was just where he wanted to go. So, yeah, you probably overpaid for Kevin Hayes a bit, but he just filled such a big need that you kind of almost had to if you had any designs on being truly competitive this year. And the fact that Nolan Patrick has missed the entire season, you know, I can't imagine where the Flyers would be this season if they didn't have Kevin Hayes. Your second-line center is – you know, Scott Lawton, maybe you have to use Drew at, at second line center the entire year, and then he's less effective as a result. This, this team would, would certainly not be anywhere close to where they are right now had they not signed Kevin Hayes. And going to Niskanen, you know, the big thing that I think the Flyers identified in the offseason was the need for a, a stable partner for Ivan Provorov. You know, Provorov had a great 2017-2018. He looked like he was developing into a true star. And then last season, he kind of took a step back. And I think what they determined was one of the big reasons for that was that he was all too often being kind of forced to carry a pair. You know, he was getting put with young guys who were still kind of trying to find their footing, or he was getting put with guys who were inconsistent, or he was getting put with guys that just plain weren't that good. And the thought process of getting Niskanen is, here's a guy who has been in the league for years. He's a right-handed shot, so he compliments Proby because Proby's a lefty, and He's a veteran who, you know, he knows how to communicate on the ice. He knows, you know, it, it may be a little cliche, but he's won a Stanley Cup. You know, this is a guy who, who Provorov, well, Provorov can still be the more talented guy on that top pair. He can lean on this in a little bit. He doesn't have to do everything anymore. And I think Provorov has really, really benefited from the presence of Niskanen. And you're seeing this year, you know, Provorov's back to his old self. He looks fantastic. He's scoring goals. He's taking on the toughest minutes. And he's just kind of right back on the same development curve that you thought he was going to be on uh, after he finished that 2017-2018 season. So you know, both of those additions, Hayes and Niskanen, the big thing was they just filled such big needs for this team, and that's why I think they've been so effective. 
So as you mentioned, they've been out with Nolan Patrick all season, the migraine problems. More recently, JVR has been hurt. We just found out Phil Myers is going to be out four weeks with a patella problem. And, of course, uh, Oscar Lindblom out with Ewing Sarcoma. It's great how the team and the entire Philadelphia sports community has gotten behind his fight. But as we wrap up, Charlie, let me ask you, what's your gut telling you? Can this Flyers team make a nice playoff run and maybe get to the finals? To the finals? Wow, okay. <laughs> Just a couple weeks ago, the question was, are they going to make the playoffs? Now <laughs> That's we're, ancient history. Now we're talking about the, uh, talking about the finals. <laughs> yes, we are. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's the one thing you do have to remember about this team is that this is they're probably – a little early in terms of when, you know, when their window was expected to open up. You know, this is maybe about a year earlier than I think most people thought it might, people who are following the team closely. It's going to be tough. You know, I think for them to go through, to run through the playoffs and get to the final, obviously they have to get through the Metro, which means they're probably going to have to defeat both Pittsburgh and Washington, both really tough teams. Not to say they can't do it, but they're both very tough teams and, Especially if you run into Pittsburgh, you would expect that series is going to be a war, that even the team that wins is going to be pretty drained when they come out of it. And then after that, you're probably going to have to face one of these two teams they're playing this week, Boston, who's got the best record in hockey, and then Tampa Bay, who's probably the most talented team in hockey. So not saying they can't do it, and maybe if they, they sweep these two, these two teams this week, maybe you're a little bit more confident they can just roll through the entire Eastern Conference. But it's not going to be a cakewalk. And I think the main focus right now, you know, lock down that playoff spot, make sure you're in, and then focus on winning a playoff series for the first time since 2012. And if you do that, I think you really go a long way towards exciting the fan base. And in my mind, if you win that playoff series, everything else is kind of gravy. You know, obviously you want to win the cup, but the, the key to this season is just showing, showing the players, showing the fans that this, this franchise has taken a real step forward. And I think they are, but, a lot for a lot of people, the playoffs are going to be the final decider of that. So, got to have some success in the playoffs. All right, one step at a time, we'll take it. Read him in the Athletic. Great Flyers coverage all the time from you guys. Charlie O'Connor, thank you. Thanks a lot, Chad. Hey, Chad, I'll tell you what, man, that was great stuff from Charlie and, and from James. Man, both great guests <laughs> yes. tonight that are well informed. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, loving the show, man. Yeah, Charlie knows his Flyers stuff. He's he's all over Twitter. He He's probably... He's probably done more tweets in one day than I have in the six years I've been on it. <laughs> well, and, you know, to his point, you know, Boston tonight, Tampa Bay, uh, this uh, Thursday night, yeah. and St. Louis, I believe it's next Tuesday night. Uh, these these next four games, there's one other one stuck in the middle there, I believe. Um, you know, we're going to find out a lot about this hockey team. Yeah, and you don't expect them to win every game. They're not going to you know, go undefeated the rest of the year. They had a nine-game streak. They're going to lose one here or there, but I think they're proving they're going to be a real contender, and that's why you're seeing a lot of the odds getting really short right now. I think they're 5-1 to one to get to the Cup Finals from what I saw today. Yeah, yeah, and uh, nothing, nothing after the first. Uh, the Bruins are on the power play at the break, though, so right. they'll be starting the second period. Go Flyers. With the power play. All right. Well, hey, Chad, if you're looking for insurance in the tri-state area, we've got the spot for you. Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. Yes, we do. One of the best benefits of having an Allstate Insurance policy is getting a local agent like Dave Lavoie, who is dedicated to you. Building that personal relationship means you can work with someone who knows you and understands your family's needs, someone you can call when you have questions or need help. Dave is dedicated to protecting what's most important to you and your family. So call Dave today at Allstate in Westchester, Pennsylvania, 610-430-0700. Again, the number is 610-430-0700. And, Bill, the ladies loved this guy. 
I'll tell you. Uh, this was back in the 1960s, 1965. His song was number one this week in 65. It's not unusual to be loved by anyone. It's not unusual to have fun with anyone. Tom Jones. Yeah, Tom Jones. He's a legend, that's for sure. Is it his birthday, or what? Or did we just put that out there? Just put it out because it was uh, number one this week in 1965, 55 years ago this week. And Tom's still around, by the way. Wow, 1965. Yeah. I was thinking it was a little later than that. How about that? Yeah. All right. Well, hey, Chet, um, speaking, we mentioned Dave LaVoy, uh, our all-state insurance sponsor. Yes. Uh, I will see Dave this weekend, and so will you in sunny Clearwater, Florida. Dave is going to be down there. Dave will be there. How about that? I will that? be with him and uh, a bunch of others, uh, and you will be there as well. Yeah, we just figured out the schedule. You were all confused last week. We figured out you will, in fact, be there this Friday. I'll be there this Friday, and uh, we're going to be at the game, and we'll have a little meeting about Philly Press Box, and you know, maybe just maybe I'll have a beer with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's <laughs> let's make a note of that, and uh, we'll make that happen. Sounds good to me. Looking forward to. It. I'm flying out of beautiful Trenton, New Jersey tomorrow. And hopefully the plane is all nice and disinfected and everybody's nice and healthy and I don't get quarantined in Florida come Saturday. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> uh, speaking of that, I, uh, why I was listening to your interview, uh, I saw a little thing fly by on my screen that said that the Pirates are going to play in an empty stadium. I couldn't – there was no <laughs> attached article to that. So I don't know if that was uh, true or false, but uh, – you know, well, the start of this season is really going to be interesting to see how this all goes if it continues on for the next few weeks. And, you know, I hate making jokes about it, but the Pirates have played to a lot of nearly empty stadiums over the last few years. <laughs> Sorry, Denny. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's true. That's true. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's a kind of, as we said, it's a bit of an overreaction. But money talks, Chet. March Madness will go on. March Madness will have fans in the seats. I believe because yeah. there is an awful, awful lot of money being spent. So yeah, uh, we'll see how that all goes. Oh, I know it's going to be very interesting because I mean, there's more and more cancellations of different things every day. They just canceled today the New York Auto Show, which was supposed to be in early April. They postponed it till late August, early September. Uh, Coachella has been postponed. The uh, thing in Austin. Um, South by Southwest. They canceled that last Friday. Uh, We already discussed the fact that there will be no Ivy League tournament this year for men's or women's basketball. So, yeah, it's getting kind of crazy, and I can't imagine they would do anything like that with the NCAA tournament. But there are going to be some other ramifications, so uh, it's going to be an interesting next month, I think. Well, and one you didn't mention that I've already seen rumblings on some of the pages that I follow is – they're talking about canceling the blue-white game in Happy Valley. And as you know, that is oh. quite an event that uh, gets about 50,000 people to go to the spring game. Yeah. Um, they're talking about possibly canceling that or having no fans. Wow. And that that's what, usually April? Something yes. on there? Yeah. Wow, very interesting. Yeah, we'll be certainly uh, keeping tabs on all that over the next few weeks. And speaking of money, Bill... How about uh, a couple of things? Tony Romo getting $17 million a year to stay at CBS. Good for Tony. And then there was that uh, apparent effort by ESPN to make some kind of a trade with NBC, Comcast, Universal, to get Al Michaels to come to ESPN and do play-by-play for Monday Night Football, pairing him with Peyton Manning. But NBC Sports shot that that down today, so that's not going to happen. 
Yeah, crazy, huh? And and I liked uh, who was the player. Uh, one of the players said it, it's just not right to have the broadcaster making more money than all the players. Yeah. Um, because but the NFL is not the one paying Tony, Tony Romo. It's the television network. So uh, you know it's a bad argument, but it is interesting that these guys are out there playing and. Romo's going to make way more money broadcasting than he ever did as a player. How about that? Well, I think he's a better broadcaster than he was a player. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. What else? What else should we All discuss, right. Bill? Well, let's give a shout-out to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford to have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out the Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC118 Razroom. That's right. PPCC118 Razroom on Facebook. Hey, Bill, getting back to basketball and the Ivy League, you probably saw this last week. Uh, Bob Vitrone was keeping. Uh, tabs on it for us. The University of Pennsylvania has a new all-time scoring leader. His name is A.J. Broder, not Brodeur, Broder, and he just passed Ernie Beck, who had been the Quakers' career scoring leader since way back in 1953. And this season alone, Broder passed some familiar names, among them Bob Morse, Bruce Lefkowitz, Jerome Allen, Ron Hagler, Michael Jordan, the other Michael Jordan, the one who played for Penn. Uh, but A.J. Broder is now the University of Pennsylvania's men's basketball all-time leading scorer, so congrats to A.J. Yeah, great accomplishment. Uh, so you read off some nice names there that were, were great scorers for the Quakers over the years, and uh, for that record to have stood that long is is really something else. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And he even going into this season, he was already ahead of some other famous Penn alum like, alums like uh, Dave Wool, who we all remember from, I guess, the yeah. late 60s, early 70s. And my favorite, Corky Calhoun. Corky, yes. Corky. One of my favorites. Yeah. Hey, like and, and wouldn't it have been something if, if Broder was sitting there one or two oh. points shy and they canceled this tournament? Yes. Been something? I did think of that, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, hey, Chet, we're back to Wednesday next week, correct? And uh, and so who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio? You set the bar pretty high again tonight. Yes, Wednesday the 18th, Bill. Hopefully I'll have sobered up from St. Patrick's Day. Uh, I can't promise, but I'll do my best. We will be here on Wednesday the 18th, and it'll be the eve of the traditional start of the NCAA tournament. We don't really care about the play-in games Tuesday and Wednesday night. It really starts Thursday at noon. And just as we did last year on that night, that Wednesday, we're going to talk college hoops and much more with the guy I just mentioned, former Daily News writer and current Better's Insider guru, Bob Vitrone Jr., a.k.a. Boop. And we may have a second guest also still working on that. All right. Uh, Boop will be loaded with great stuff for the tournament, as he always is, all the time. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, He'll really be set up for the tournament, that's for sure. I'm going to go down and hang out with Boop at Splits one of these days because uh, he's there, I think, like five nights a week, and I've never been there to Splits, and uh, I'm sure they have like a nice little seat for Bob, and I'm going to go crash his party one of these nights. I hear you. All right. Hey, how about a parting shot for you tonight because we're running out of time already. Do you believe I did not think to do a parting shot this week? But what I do have, Bill, uh, is the fact that Monday, this past Monday, yesterday, as we speak here on Tuesday, Monday was National Meatball Day. And in connection with the fact that it was National Meatball Day, I need to squeeze in one more little commercial spot for us. Mamma mia, that's some beast. You've got spicy meatballs, Jack.
Take 28. Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. Cut. The accent. Macy, micey, bossy, bossy. Take 59. Yeah. Sometimes you eat more than you should. And when yeah. it's spicy besides, mamma mia, do you need Alka-Seltzer. Alka-Seltzer can help unstuff you, relieve the acid indigestion, and help make you your old self again. Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. Uh, okay, let's break for lunch. <laughs> wow. You know what well, year? And, and you know, Chip. Yeah. You know what year uh, that was, was from? Say, we, we, we were wondering, like, yeah. where do these days come from? Who, who decided that? Uh, oh, I have no idea. There's a day for everything, though. And I listen to WMMR a lot, and uh, Pierre Robert, the midday jock, around 11.20 or so every day, does this little, like, calendar thing, and he'll list about 20 different things for every single day. And, yes, Monday was not only National Meatball Day, I think it was also National Barbie Day and National Take-A-Nap Day. So there you go. And that commercial, go. 1969, that commercial was from, Bill. Can you believe that? 1969. Wow. Wrap it up. Well, hey, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I can't wrap it up right yet. I got to tell you, when we were up in New Jersey at the Jersey show that we do, the memorabilia show, we went to a place in, I'm going to say this wrong, Matuchin, New Jersey? Matuchin. sounds about right? Matuchin, yes. Matuchin, okay. Yes. And it's called Lots of Balls. <laughs> and the meal is based around your meatballs. Okay. And they make meatballs every possible way you can get them, and they are fantastic. Fantastic. Lots of balls in Metuchen, New Jersey. Check it out if you're ever up there. Sounds good to me. Now wrap it up, Bill. All right. Because we've hit the top of the hour, let's thank tonight's special guest, James Seltzer and Charlie O'Connor. Our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Raz Room, and Dave O'Boy of Allstate Insurance of Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chet Chesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Next Wednesday night, March 18th at 7 p.m. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, or blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Bullhorn, Player, FM, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and others. And with that, high hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Hi.